Support for Criminal comes from 1Password. If you're someone who's ever reused an old password, or you just hate creating and keeping track of new ones, then it might be time to try a password manager. 1Password generates as many strong, unique passwords as you need and securely stores them in an encrypted vault that only you have access to. All you have to do is remember one strong account password that protects everything else. Right now, our listeners get a free two-week trial for you and your family at onepassword.com criminal. That's the number one, password.com criminal for two free weeks. onepassword.com criminal. Hi, I'm Johanna Ferreira, content director of Pop Sugar Juntos. Juntos is all about celebrating Latin A culture, pride, our many intersectional identities, and joy. Thanks to support from Prime, there's so much to get into over at Juntos this month. From conversations with the Latin A minds behind our favorite new movies and resurrected TV shows, to thoughtful celebrity commentary and exclusive interviews with some of the biggest Latin music artists today. And it doesn't stop there. Get more of the music, movies, and shopping you love on Prime. Whatever you're into, it's on Prime. Visit Amazon.com slash Prime to get more of whatever you're into from streaming to shopping. And get all of our latest coverage at PopSugar.com slash Juntos. Con amor, Johanna. One September morning, a young couple went for a walk on the outskirts of New Brunswick, New Jersey. Their path took them down a little road called Derussi's Lane, um, which had an infamous reputation locally as a, as a lover's lane, a place where, where people went to, um, you know, enjoy some alone time uh, apart from prying eyes. And they saw two people sleeping. Underneath a crabapple tree was a man wearing a buttoned-up coat with a hat over his eyes and a woman in a blue dress with red polka dots. When the couple walked by again sometime later, they were surprised to find the same two people still under the tree in the same exact place as before. And it becomes apparent to them that they're standing over uh, two dead bodies. His right arm was outstretched and her head was resting on his arm. Uh, her left hand had been placed, you know, on his thigh. Their c- clothing was was in, you know, very neat, orderly condition. Um, and between their bodies, there was a, a stack of, of love letters. One read, I am tired today. Want to lie with you and rest for hours. Another read, Oh, darling, if I had an income of my own, I would be very selfish, I guess. I'd build a waiting love nest. In addition to the letters propped up against the man's foot was a business card. The name on the card was Reverend Edward Wheeler Hall. Police arrived, along with local newspaper reporters. And they discovered that Reverend Edward Hall, who was a prominent local minister, had been shot once in the head. The woman beside him had been shot multiple times, and her throat had been cut. But it was quite a bit of time before someone showed up who actually could identify who the woman was. She was a choir singer, a young woman named Eleanor Mills. Uh, but she was someone who, within the church, was seen as a very close uh, confidant of Edward Hall. Uh, but I guess most notably, this was you know, a woman uh, who was not his wife. Um, and Eleanor Mills also was, was married. So, um, you know, immediately this, this had all the makings of a scandal when the bodies were found. That afternoon, 
On September 16, 1922, Eleanor Mills' husband, Jim Mills, was notified of his wife's death. When he went to the morgue where Eleanor's body had been taken, police showed him the love letters that had been found. Jim identified the handwriting as his wife's. But in an interview with reporters that day said, quote, My wife was a good wife. He said that he couldn't explain why she would have been with Reverend Hall unless it was to talk over church matters. When police interviewed the reverend's wife, Frances Hall, she told them that she had no knowledge of a, quote, intimate friendship between her late husband and the woman who'd been found dead next to him. But really, you know, if, if you read the newspapers at the time, the amount of gossip that was flowing forth about the you know, level of apparent intimacy between these two people left little room for, for doubt that there was something going on. Within days of the murders, a man in the church choir told reporters he had spotted Reverend Hall and Eleanor Mills walking arm in arm in New York City. And the owner of the local pharmacy said they'd been in more than once for ice cream sodas. A neighbor of the Mills family told a reporter that, in her opinion, Reverend Hall visited the Mills home far too often and that she was afraid a scandal would erupt. She also said she had overheard a fight between Eleanor Mills and her husband about Eleanor doing too much for the church. Eleanor reportedly replied, Well, why shouldn't I? I care more for Mr. Hall's little finger than I do for your whole body. Author Joe Pompeo. You know, from from day one, you know, all the major New York papers were covering this. Uh, The New York Times, the Herald, the Tribune, you know, papers all over the country very quickly picked up on this, and it just became, you know, a national sensation from the get-go. And the headlines were splashy. The headlines were splashy, but especially in, you know, what you would consider the more uh, sort of, I guess, downmarket press, and especially in the Daily News, because this was the first uh, tabloid, officially what you would call a tabloid newspaper in America. Tabloid newspapers came to the U.S. in 1919, when the Daily News, originally called the Illustrated Daily News, was founded. It was thinner and smaller than other newspapers, and it had a lot more photos, like the long-running London tabloid The Daily Mirror. By the time the story about Reverend Hall and Eleanor Mills' murder broke in the fall of 1922, the Daily News had grown from the nation's first tabloid into the third-largest newspaper in the country. A young journalist named Phil Payne had just been named the acting managing editor. If he did well, the position would be his permanently. For Phil Payne, I mean, this this is the type of stuff you want. It's exactly what you want. I mean, this is like, you know, this is like sent from, from God, essentially. You know, a, a prominent minister who had married into a rich family cavorting with the choir, the married choir singer from his church, found murdered on a lover's lane. I mean, you, you couldn't make it up. I'm Phoebe Judge. This is Criminal. Reverend Edward Hall's wife, Frances Hall, was 48 years old when her husband was found dead next to another woman. She was a member of an illustrious New Brunswick family with ties to the Johnson & Johnson fortune. She reportedly inherited at least a million dollars. 
She and Reverend Hall lived in an upscale part of town, in what the Daily News described as a magnificent estate. She really was everything you'd expect of a woman, you know, who was raised in the late Victorian age. You know, all of her values were, um, you know, privacy and and decorum and this proud um, family honor. And, and what was her marriage like with Edward? You know, there there was no accounts of marital discord between Edward and, and Francis, but it was also a very curious marriage. When Edward was first, you know, gaining prominence, uh, there was a lot of young women who, who were drawn to him. And initially, uh, Edward had developed some romantic attachment to a younger woman in the congregation who was a schoolteacher and about his same age at the time, around 27 or, or 28 years old. Francis was was 35, um, so she's seven years older than Edward. Um, she, by all accounts, uh, would have been considered a spinster or someone approaching a spinster at the time. Um, and, you know, there was not any prospects uh, of marriage in her future. And along comes this charismatic pastor and suddenly there's a proposal. And I think there was some speculation that, you know, he, he you know, might have been something of a gold digger. Certainly, you know, he was marrying up and they, you know, lived as husband and wife, uh, as two prominent uh, people in New Brunswick for some years before his affair with, with Eleanor really developed. On the night that the murder was believed to have happened, one of the reverend's neighbors had been woken up by a barking dog around three o'clock in the morning. When the neighbor went outside to see what was going on, he ran into a night watchman who told him that he'd seen a woman running into the Hall's house. The woman looked like the Reverend's wife, Frances Hall. So police questioned her. And she said, you know, that was me. I had gone with my brother, Willie, and we had gone down to the church, very nervous about where Edward was, not knowing where he was in the middle of the night and thought maybe he could be there. And they, just, you know, she, she described her journey to look for her husband um, and said, That's, that was me. Frances told police that she thought that perhaps her husband had been robbed. When he left their house, he was carrying quite a bit of money and an expensive gold watch and chain. When his body was found, he had just a few cents on him. She insisted again that her husband was not having an affair. There was this brief moment where, you know, really with nothing else to go on, the police tried to... Uh, you know, pin the crime on this young man who was a friend of uh, the young couple who had found the bodies. And it was just kind of this absurd, you know, for lack of any other evidence to go on, they, they figured maybe they can put an end to this by railroading um, this young guy into a confession. And there was a woman who was reading this this newspaper coverage who suddenly came forward to one of the detectives working on the case and said, you know, I know that that young man didn't do it because I was there that night. And she claimed to have been a witness to the murders. We'll be right back. Thanks to 1Password for their support. It can be annoying to create so many new, unique passwords with arbitrary numbers, symbols, and letters every time we need one. And then once we've created one that works, we have to try to keep track of it and not reuse it anywhere else. And not choose anything that's easy to guess or remember. 
OnePassword can take care of all of that for you. OnePassword generates as many strong, unique passwords as you need and securely stores them in an encrypted vault that only you have access to. It uses industry-leading security to bring private, secure, and user-friendly password management to everyone. With 1Password, you just need to remember one strong account password that protects everything else. It's a great way to keep things organized and private, so you'll no longer need to keep tabs on a bunch of long, convoluted passwords or reuse the same one ever again. Join the millions of users and over 100,000 businesses who trust 1Password's award-winning password manager. Right now, our listeners get a free two-week trial for you and your family at onepasswordcom criminal. That's the number one, password.com slash criminal for two free weeks. OnePassword.com slash criminal. Embracing nature is more than just going for a walk now and then. It's reconnecting with the elements. It's harnessing the power of natural ingredients. It's putting the earth first. For over 50 years, Nature's Sunshine has been sharing the healing power of nature as they work towards a healthier planet. Their manufacturing facility is 100% powered by sunlight, and they divert 95% of waste away from landfills. If you're looking for a sustainably made herbal supplement, you might want to check out Nature Sunshine and their new power line. Power Beats are a superfood performance booster that can help enhance both performance and blood flow. And Power Meal is a satisfying protein-packed superfood shake that comes in sustainable packaging made with nearly 40% post-consumer recycled plastics. Now that's something you can feel good about. This Earth Month, you can enjoy 25% off your first order with code NSP. Just go to naturesunshine.com. That's naturesunshine.com and use code NSP for 25% off your first order. On the night that Eleanor Mills and the Reverend went missing, Jane Gibson, a local farmer who raised pigs, heard a commotion outside her barn. She said she saw a wagon up the road, thought maybe someone had stolen corn from her, and hopped on her mule Jenny to follow. And, you know, got to an intersection and lost sight of the wagon. But she claimed to have seen two people in the headlights of a car that was making a U-turn in the lane. And she thought nothing of it. The people kind of disappeared. um, And she's trotting back down the road on Jenny, her mule. Suddenly she claims she heard commotion. She hears voices. It sounded like people who were arguing. There was no moon. It was very dark. But Jane Gibson told police that she saw four figures, two men and two women. She goes closer in the darkness on her mule. Uh, She hears gunshots, first one, then another three. She hears a woman cry out, and she hears a woman scream, Oh, Henry. Frances Hall, the reverend's wife, had a brother named Henry. In her statement to police, Jane Gibson identified Frances Hall as the woman she'd heard scream the name Henry that night. And, you know, suddenly the police have someone claiming to be an eye, you know, something of an eyewitness to the murderers, and it just completely blew the case up. One investigator told reporters that he had doubts about Jane Gibson's ability to see well enough in the dark to identify anyone. Frances Hall's lawyer said she wasn't there that night. And Frances Hall's brother, Henry, had an alibi. Newspapers referred to Jane Gibson as the pig woman. Reporters surrounded her house. 
And as Jane Gibson talked with them, her story about the crime and about herself began to shift. At some point, she actually claimed that she, she you know, saw the crime and hadn't just heard the shots and heard the screaming. Um, but it also came out that she was someone who was quite theatrical. Um, she told a story about her past and her upbringing that was was quite adventurous. She had run away from home and been a bareback rider in the circus. And when the reporters dug into it, they actually found that she seemed to have a much more mundane um, personal history than than what she had told. And there was all these just questions about her true identity and her background and the story she'd told that, you know, began to undermine her credibility, but not enough so that the prosecutors in the case uh, diverted their attention from her. In late November of 1922, a grand jury was convened to decide whether to indict anyone for the murders of Reverend Edward Hall and Eleanor Mills. A special prosecutor called witnesses to testify over several days— the couple who had found the bodies, people who had heard gunshots, and a woman who said that Jane Gibson, the pig woman, was with her on the night of the murders and couldn't have witnessed anything. Frances Hall, the reverend's wife, was not called to testify. In the middle of the grand jury proceedings, 76 women, including etiquette expert Emily Post, signed a letter of support that was published in the local paper, it said that Frances Hall, quote, is now and always has been a woman of the highest type, above suspicion and above reproach, incapable of thinking, much less doing evil. Around the same time, the so-called pig woman, Jane Gibson, published a poem in the newspapers called Truth Forever. It included the lines, For truth and justice I will stand, and righteousness for all. The wicked come and go their way. But in the end, they fall. When Jane Gibson spoke to the grand jury, she told them that she'd seen a small woman and a quite tall man in the headlights at the scene of the murder. She said that later that night, she returned to the area and saw the same woman crying over a body on the ground. She said that Frances Hall was the woman she had seen both times. But when she was asked about the man she had seen with Francis on the night of the shooting, the man Francis allegedly called Henry, Jane Gibson hesitated and wasn't able to confidently identify who he was. After hearing all of the testimony, the grand jury deliberated for several hours before they announced that they would not bring any indictments. Several months later, Francis Hall left the country for a long trip around Europe. The tabloid editor Phil Payne succeeded in becoming managing editor at the New York Daily News during the fall of 1922. At the time, the Daily News was publishing articles about the Hall Mills murder investigation almost every day. They printed a comic-style sketch of the shooting and a map detailing exactly where the bodies had been found. The spot became such a popular tourist destination that vendors started selling peanuts and balloons there. The Daily News reported that the crabapple tree, next to where the bodies had been found, was stripped bare by so many people trying to take leaves and branches as souvenirs. This was 
suited to the sort of atmosphere in the 1920s where people were just obsessing over sensations and and trivialities and scandals um, and sort of going to town with all this stuff after this dark period the world had endured of of war and a flu pandemic. Um, it was this, you know, this boisterous time. There was a lot of crime in the air. This was the era of prohibition. You know, there are corrupt political bosses uh, running amok. Um, it was kind of this lawless, this lawless climate. And I think that was really um, something that uh, Phil Payne and the Daily News were able to tap into. So after the grand jury, you know, okay, so it's kind of back to ground zero. The newspapers, I would assume, still are trying to sell this story. But now what are they going to do? As a, as, in terms of like a big media story, it fizzled out. It did recede from the headlines. There wasn't really much left to, to report. But, you know, the investigators were still ostensibly working on the case. And Phil Payne of the Daily News was also very much interested in still pursuing uh, the story and trying to figure out who did this because, you know, if he could, that would sell a lot of newspapers and it would be great for the Daily News. And, you know, with Francis and her family out of the picture, there was some thought about, should we take a closer look at Jim Mills? Jim Mills, Eleanor Mills's widower. Jim and Eleanor Mills got married in 1905, after Eleanor got pregnant. They lived in what newspapers reported was a poor quarter of the city. And by 1922, they had two teenage children. Jim was also involved in Reverend Hall's church, maintaining the building. On the day that his wife's body was found next to Reverend Hall's, Jim Mills told reporters that the Reverend was, quote, my best friend. But later, when their daughter found love letters from Reverend Hall to his wife at their home, he told the press, they certainly made a sucker out of me. So Jim Mills, he and and Eleanor, you know, they were known to bicker. Money was a source of uh, turmoil in their marriage. They, they, they were sort of living hand to mouth. They had two children uh, to, to feed. Uh, and, you know, Eleanor, I think, was unsatisfied with this, with this life. She wanted, she wanted something more. And in fact, on the night that she disappeared, uh, the night that she was murdered, she left the house as Jim was, was working on some, some woodwork on the porch. And he said, where are you going? And Eleanor's response was, follow me and find out. Jim Mills had an alibi. But investigators thought that depending on the time of the murders, it could have been possible for him to have killed his wife in Reverend Hall. As he became the focus of the investigation, Phil Payne at the Daily News began coming up with ways to get him to confess. So Phil Payne comes up with this idea uh, to, to stage a seance. Immediately this sounds absurd and, 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 and laughable. Uh, but, you know, at the time, you know, this is the early 1920s, there was this sort of renewed fervor for spiritualism. Um, you know, Arthur Conan Doyle was traveling the country. He was a big proponent of, of spiritualism and, and the occult. And a lot of people had, had bought into this. Um, and among those people was apparently the Mills family. Eleanor Mills had gone to a spiritualist about whether Reverend Hall would divorce his wife Jim Mills was known to believe in ghosts. Phil Payne and his Daily News colleagues working with the police 
decided that they would try to scare Jim Mills into confessing. They'd do it with the help of a young newspaper reporter who would pretend she was a medium named Madame Astra. And, and they, they lured Jim Mills to her Manhattan apartment and, you know, decked the place out and had incense wafting. And Phil Payne and the detectives and a stenographer were hiding behind a thick velvet curtain in the apartment, listening to, to this, this fake medium essentially, you know, bring Eleanor's spirit into the room and accuse Jim of being her murderer. But he, he held strong throughout what was apparently in this hour's long uh, charade and just said, I did not, I did not kill my wife. And it sort of turned out to be uh, a flop. Over the next few years, tabloids kept trying to keep the case going. It was a story that sold a lot of papers. Phil Payne left the Daily News and became the managing editor of another new tabloid, William Randolph Hearst, New York Daily Mirror. And in 1926, Phil Payne and his colleagues at the Daily Mirror managed to uncover some new information that put Francis Hall back in the spotlight. You know, he basically goes straight to the attorney general and the governor and and shows them what his newspaper has dug up. And, you know, from that moment forward, they're sort of operating, you know, if not in cahoots, they're sort of operating in this harmonious way where, you know, he is supplying them with information to reopen this case and they are promising the Daily Mirror, you know, all the big scoops that are going to come out of it. So they're sort of working um, separately, but also in a way hand in hand. The Daily Mirror claimed that a fingerprint left on the business card discovered by Reverend Hall's foot matched that of Francis Hall's brother, Willie. And they had testimony from a man who claimed that a former maid at the Hall residence had been bribed to stay quiet. Four years after Reverend Hall and Eleanor Mills were found dead, Francis Hall was arrested for murder. We'll be right back. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a PropGPod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the PropGPod wherever you get your podcasts. When Frances Hall was arrested in 1926, she told reporters, I will make those who caused my arrest suffer, as I am now being made to suffer. Her trial, alongside her two brothers, Willie and Henry, began in early November. What was the trial of Frances and her brothers like? This was like if O.J. Simpson had happened in 1922. I mean, it was that level of of spectacle. Uh, You had, even before the trial, you had hundreds of journalists from all over the country 
who descended on the small town of Somerville. That was the county seat of, of Somerset County, where this trial was to take place in the Somerset County courthouse. Uh, you had so many reporters you know, tramping around town that all the hotels were filled up and reporters, newspapers were renting out entire homes for their staffs to um, live in over the course of this trial. I mean, it really was just a media circus and probably a type of media circus that um, America hadn't seen that level of up to that point. During the trial, a prosecutor described Frances Hall as a strong, proud woman, wounded perhaps as much in her pride as in her affections. Many of the same people who had testified during the 1922 grand jury proceedings were called. But there were new additions, too. Like a doctor who was called to testify about a recent autopsy that had been performed on Eleanor Mills. He told the jury that he'd discovered that Eleanor Mills's tongue, larynx, and windpipe were missing. The prosecutor asked him, They were all organs of singing, weren't they? To which he replied, yes. Phil Payne was also called to testify. The defense asked how he'd gotten the business card with the fingerprint and whether he was paid more when newspaper sales went up. And Jane Gibson, the pig farmer, comes back. The interesting thing about the prosecution's strategy, and again, there's a special prosecutor who's brought in uh, to to try the case, and he just said, "I just believe this woman's story." You know, and even though it had changed, even though she had these credibility issues, even though her story had changed and gone through all these different permutations, really the the contours remained the same, and he felt this was still the most compelling uh, piece of evidence that could be presented to a jury. Jane Gibson, by 1926. Uh, had, had become ill. She's, she's suffering from a blood infection, you know, possibly a constellation of other ailments, maybe cancer, maybe, maybe other things. And there's a question of not only will she be well enough to testify in this trial, but will she live to testify in this trial? And that sort of creates this suspense over the first few weeks uh, of the trial as other witnesses are coming forward of, you know, when will we hear from the famous pig woman? Uh, but eventually... She says, I want to testify. And she signs, you know, a document saying she understands the risk of being transported by ambulance. And the next morning, there's this procession of, of her ambulance and police escorts and cars full of journalists that are, that are following her, moving very slowly along these, these back roads from Jersey City to Somerville. And there's crowds along the way who realize it's the famous pig woman and they're shouting and they're, and they're cheering out for her because, you know, she had really, the newspapers had turned her into this, in this celebrity. Um, the, whole, the whole country was, was, was following the story of Jane Gibson, the pig, the pig woman. So it was really, um, of all the testimonies that, that happened in the trial, I think hers was surely the most anticipated. And when they finally reached the courthouse, the Somerset County Courthouse, She's wheeled out of the ambulance on a stretcher and carried into the courtroom on this hospital bed, which is set up in front of the jury. Uh, and that is how she testifies, from a hospital bed with a doctor beside her and a nurse who are checking her pulse and, and keeping her comfortable uh, throughout the course of her questioning. From the hospital bed at the front of the courtroom, Jane Gibson testified that as she rode her mule on the night of the murders, she saw Frances Hall and her brother Willie. She then said she heard someone saying, explain these letters. 
She said she saw Francis's other brother, Henry, wrestling with another man. She heard screaming and three shots, and then said she ran away. She also told the jury that she returned later that night and saw, quote, big white-haired woman crying, bending down, facing something. She identified that woman again as Frances Hall. The defense pointed out ways that Jane Gibson's story had changed over the years. They also questioned her about her marriage, her career, and whether she'd made money after coming forward as a witness. At the end of her testimony, as she was being lifted by police officers to be carried out of the courtroom, Jane Gibson shouted, "'I told the truth, so help me God, and you know it, you know it, you know it.' She was pointing her finger at Francis Hall. Both of Francis Hall's brothers denied that they had anything to do with the murders. When Francis Hall took the stand, she denied killing her husband and Eleanor Mills, or having anything to do with their murders. But after several hours of cross-examination, she acknowledged for the first time that her husband must have been having an affair. After hearing all this evidence, she said, there must have been something going on I knew nothing of. And that was a really big moment, I think, in the in the whole the course of the whole investigation, because she had been so firm and, you know, this, this, this iron facade had finally sort of cracked, where she admits what everyone else clearly saw in, in, in plain sight, that there was this affair going on. And what verdict did the jury come back with? So as the jury was deliberating, there were, you know, unanimously, everyone sort of thought that the pig woman was, was full of it. But there were, however, two jury members who felt swayed by the fingerprint evidence. And they had to be convinced that by the other 10, uh, otherwise. And ultimately, the jury came back and found a not guilty verdict for all three defendants who were Frances Hall, her brothers Henry Stevens, and Willie Stevens. If Phil Payne hadn't gotten involved in the way that he did, do you think it would have turned out differently? I don't know that the case would have come back at all if, if Phil Payne you know, hadn't been on a quest to, you know, find big stories like this that were going to make his newspaper fly off stands. I mean, he, in my mind, uh, single-handedly, in a way, brought brought this back to life. And what happens to Francis Hall? You know, Francis Hall finally can sort of, you know, fade back into anonymity to an, to an extent. Um, you know, I think that she probably, you know, realizes that she will have to live for the rest of her life with this, with this cloud over her. But, you know, she can stop being a public figure and she sort of, you know, was able just to re- retreat to the, the comfort of, of her mansion for you know, the rest of her days. Frances Hall and her family also filed a $1.5 million libel lawsuit against the Daily Mirror, which the paper later settled for an undisclosed sum. Frances Hall died in 1942. Why have you not told this story uh, in the 48 years that have, have gone on since? I, I didn't want it because I know that I would be rubbed out. In 1969, 
A man named Julius Balliog lay sick in the hospital. He was 67 years old and thought that he might be dying. He picked up the phone and called the police. He had something to confess. It was about the murders of Reverend Edward Hall and Eleanor Mills. In 1922, Julius Balliog was living in New Brunswick. He had become friendly with Francis Hall's brother, Willie. Willie Stevens come up the front of the store where I was sitting on a bench. And uh, I just asked him where he come from. And I says uh, he was very nervous. And I says, what happened, Willie? Tell me. He says, I need you back, bad. According to Julius, Willie needed him to help deliver money, $6,000, in two envelopes. He claimed it was money from Francis Hall to two small-time gangsters, who Julius knew as Ike and Freddie. This recording is from an interview he did with the radio station 1010 Winds around 1970. I went over and I says to Ike, I got, Willie gave me, sent me over to give you these two envelopes. And uh, Ike took both and he looked in it and uh, he gave one to Freddie. And uh, uh, Ike says, is it all right? And uh, Freddie took an envelope like this and he says, well, we'll see. And he said to me that if you know what's good for you, you keep your mouth shut. And his story is that they paid these hitmen to to kill Edward and Eleanor. Um, so this is the story he tells a new detective named Detective George Saloom. And Detective Saloom spends the next several months sort of reprobing the case and, you know, looking very closely at all the details he's gotten from, from Julius Balyog and trying to corroborate them, some of which he does. Um, they gave him two polygraphs, which he passed. I know that's not ironclad, but it's something. They gave him a psych evaluation, which he passed, but there was there was no smoking gun. There was nothing that Saloon was actually able to find that would have, you know, conclusively proven this, this story about Willie and, 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 the, and the family taking out a hit. What do you think happened? There was so much smoke around Frances Hall and her family throughout the whole four years that this case unfolded that I find it hard to believe that there wasn't also some fire there. Um, I also find Julius Balyag's story fairly compelling. Um, you know, it's, it's why would this man out of nowhere 47 years later come up with this, this fantastical tale? You know, there was, there was nothing in it for him. Um, and, you know, I, I, I don't know if I believe his story exactly as the way he told it, but I do find it believable that you know, could this wealthy family and their desire to put an end to this scandal that was bringing, you know, dishonor on their family name, you know, could they have hired some guys to kind of to stop it? Could things have maybe gotten out of hand? And, and, and I don't find that to be very unbelievable at all. Well, Frances would have been a pretty good actress, huh? She would have been a pretty good actress. And it's hard to believe that a woman who was so averse to scandal and publicity would have 
willingly uh, participated in, you know, uh, the scandal of all scandals and subjected herself to this level of scrutiny and and publicity. So, you know, she was either a very good actor or, you know, someone who got wrapped up in this thing and then just had to kind of hold it together. In 1926, one paper wrote about the mystery of Frances Hall. It is difficult to disentangle the real woman from the figure that legend makes. Criminal is created by Lauren Spohr and me. Nadia Wilson is our senior producer. Katie Bishop is our supervising producer. Our producers are Susanna Robertson, Jackie Sajiko, Libby Foster, Samantha Brown, Lily Clark, and Megan Kinane. Our technical director is Rob Byers, engineering by Russ Henry. Julian Alexander makes original illustrations for each episode of Criminal. You can see them at thisiscriminal.com. Joe Pompeo's book is called Blood and Ink, The Scandalous Jazz Age Double Murder That Hooked America on True Crime. You can find a link to Joe's book in the show notes. And if you like the show, tell a friend or leave us a review. It means a lot. We're on Facebook and Twitter at Criminal Show and Instagram at Criminal underscore podcast. We're also on YouTube, where you can go back and take a listen to some of our favorite past episodes. That's at youtube.com slash criminal podcast. Criminal is recorded in the studios of North Carolina Public Radio, WUNC, We're part of the Vox Media Podcast Network. Discover more great shows at podcast.voxmedia.com. I'm Phoebe Judge. This is Criminal. Celebrate Earth Month this April by harnessing the power of Mother Nature with Nature's Sunshine's new power line. From power greens with over 200 plant-based nutrients to support gut health and foundational nutrition to power beets that can improve performance and blood flow. Not to mention Power Meal, which delivers plant-based calories from Whole Foods to help keep you both energized and feeling satisfied throughout the day. This Earth Month, you can enjoy 25% off your first order with code NSP. Just go to naturesunshine.com. That's naturesunshine.com and use code NSP for 25% off your first order. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.